This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Love strangers a swindon town fan podcast with me rich pullen proudly sponsored by the stfc official supporters club rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a good shot Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. Thank you very much for agreeing to take part in this. That's all right. Let's start with the lockdown chat, because I've been talking to a lot of your your teammates, and we've started these episodes in the same vein. So you've been in lockdown now for what feels like a millennia. Um, what have you been watching? What's been on Netflix, Prime, etc.? To be fair, I do watch Netflix quite a bit. Um, I'm more of a movies person than TV series and series like that. So uh, I've gone through a lot of films, um, even like older films like Laura Biden Citizen, them sort of films. They catch my eye. I say I'm more of a films person than TV. I think Laura Biden Citizen's, what, 10 years old, 12 years old? <laughs> yeah, it probably is about that. I, I thought it might have been a little bit longer, but I would say it's probably my all-time favourite. Wow, there we go. I remember that. I worked in HMV when that was out and it was very popular indeed so um how have you been doing during the lockdown side because it's not fun is it i mean you you used to being out and about going all over the country playing football how have you found it um yeah obviously it's been a uh, different um but i've entertained myself quite well i've been parents and family every wednesday and saturday um and it takes me about three hours to make a quiz because there's 75 questions in each um and then i let them um, like participate in the quiz like say every Wednesday and Thursday uh, Wednesday Saturday 
Um, so they've enjoyed it and kept them occupied because obviously they've been in lockdown in Australia as well. Because I've been watching the quiz shows on TV, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, Tenable, The Chase, to grab ideas, and then I've just used my own. So Yeah, this is music to my ears. As, as somebody who, if I'm involved in a quiz, I prefer to be the quiz master, one, because I don't like losing, um, and two, I find it quite therapeutic to build those questions up. So what are your favourite sort of rounds? I'm going to ask, and I don't care who's interested in this. <laughs> um, to be fair, I've done all sorts of rounds. Uh, obviously, I've done the generic quiz rounds, the likes of sport, music, movies, general knowledge, geography. But then I've added some extra ones in, like I've done disasters, uh, fill in the blank of like famous headlines back in the day. So I had to research, obviously, newspapers from like 2000 and things like that. So, but no, it's, it's been entertaining for the people that have joined in. Disasters round is the bleakest thing I've ever heard, and I don't mind it at all. <laughs> well, I was running out of questions, like running out of ideas. So I had to, I literally typed in different ideas for quizzes on Google, and it came up like disasters. So I was asking questions. I know it's a horrible thing to say, but about like tsunamis and plane crashes, like. But they are things that have happened in the world that everyone knows about. So it's good knowledge to have. Absolutely. Okay. Let's let's talk football then. So. And we'll start by using the term soccer just to make it a bit easier considering where you are from. So when you were a kid, who was your favourite soccer team and who were your early heroes? Uh, I'd have to say Chelsea, um, just because that's where my family originally from in London. Um, Not far from there. So they obviously supported Chelsea when they were growing up and passed it down onto me. Uh, My favourite player would have to be Frank Lampard. Um, He was someone that I looked up to. When I was young, growing up, wanted to basically aspire to be him. Um, and even now, I've tried modelising my game on his game. I've watched a lot of his clips growing up. Um, and his records speak for himself, his goals and assists. Like The career that he's had has been unbelievable. I got a really weird personal stat about Frank Lampard. And it's, it's pretty irrelevant. But I think I saw him play four or five times for either Chelsea or... England and here comes the stat he missed a penalty in every single one of those games can you believe that so you jinxed him every time I you jinxed him every <laughs> single time he definitely missed one at Newcastle when I lived up there and I saw him play for England at Old Trafford 3-1 win over Hungary Crouch did the robot for the first time and he missed a penalty <laughs> in that as well so it's one of those things that really stick great great player but can't score for Toffee, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Can't score from 12 yards out. Exactly right. I mean, it's just one of those things, isn't it? So, I mean, it's a good time to be growing up and supporting Chelsea because, you know, given your age, you're at a great, great sort of moment of your life where the money starts coming in and you, you can start enjoying some of those successes that maybe your family didn't see um, other than a few FA Cups and League Cups before that. Yeah, obviously, um, Roman Abramovich uh, helped with that. Um, but that seems to come with it in football now um, because they can sign the players that they want, the top players in the world, and they're the players that are going to win you trophies. Um, so when you've got players like Frank Lampard, John Terry, Didier Drogba, people like that, they're going to win you trophies. So I was lucky enough to watch Chelsea win many trophies through that decade in the 2000s. For yourself, you're you're from... Perth, uh, from the Perth area, which we're always told is the remote, the most remote city in the world. Yeah. What is that like? Um, it's a lovely place to live. 
Uh, it's actually very expensive now, though. Um, a lot of the English that emigrated over there years ago um, have lived their life now and are actually selling up and moving back here and living a very comfortable life in England. Um, so it is quite expensive, but that's due to the mining as well, um, because a lot of the people that work on mines come back uh, to the city and basically it's good for the country because it boosts the economy. Um, but at the same time, prices of everything else goes up. Uh, but my parents are still over there. They enjoy it. Um, and obviously you can't complain with the weather, even though the winter does get quite dull and it's very wet sometimes. Uh, but obviously the summer's beautiful. Christmas Day down the beach and things like that. No, it's not for me. It's not for me. <laughs> but it's nice to know that you, you, you go to Birmingham for that for that wind and rain. Well, yeah, it's more north you go, it uh, does get colder. <laughs> so, Jordan Lydon, the young footballer then. So, I, I will put quite a handsome amount of money on suggesting that you probably weren't a central midfielder forever. Or am I wrong? Are you, were you one of the rare footballers who went in straight in a midfield and stayed there? Uh, no, to be fair, I actually was a midfielder since no. I was young. Um, <laughs> however, I did... Uh, get moved about a bit because I actually played two years up uh, when I was in Australia. Um, so obviously the bigger players were generally the midfielders. So I played right back, uh, played on the wing as well, even though I'm not the quickest. Um, but it was good. It, it helped me a lot because I had to adapt my game um, coming up against bigger and stronger players. So I like I say, I had to adapt my game to find a way to be better than them and obviously get around them. What's it like being a kid who's playing one or two years above? Because it sounds brilliant. It sounds like one of those great things, but there must be like hurdles there and people not really appreciating the fact that you're good enough to be playing that high up and there may be a bit of jealousy and things like that. Did you come across that when you when you were playing? Uh, no, I didn't really come across that um, because obviously I came to England at, like first when I was nine years old. Um, so a lot of people back home did know that I like was lucky enough to get the opportunity um, and then I thankfully took it. Um, so I was coming back regularly. So they knew the ability that I did have which obviously put me in good stead of playing years above my age because I felt if I played my own age, I would have became complacent. I wouldn't have pushed myself and challenged myself. And I think as a kid, you need to always do that to make yourself better. And I'm still bettering myself even today. I'm still learning off people. So it did help um, and it put me in good stead for the future. The internet being the internet, I'm always trying to do as much research as I can and there may be bits and pieces that I missed out, so forgive me. But... Your youth career in Australia is with uh, ECU, is it Joondalup? Joondalup, yeah, that's yep. correct. And they're, you know, they're not worldwide, but they're pretty well recognised within within Australian soccer as being one of the best for developing young players. What What is the development of, of soccer? Or what are your experiences of the development of soccer in Australia? I talked to Cameron McGilp about this and he had his insight. What was your experiences? Uh, it was, well, it was mainly an English club. Um, a lot of the English actually do go to Perth. Um, they live in the northern suburbs of the city, um, and that's where Joondalup's based. So it did have the English connection, um, but there's been many players that have come out of that club who are playing professional football all around the world. Um, you've got, obviously, myself, then you've got players like Reese Williams, who captain Middlesbrough. Uh, Chris Hurd, who's represented Australia, and people like that, Shane Lowry. Um, and they had the link over to England, and that's where the link for myself 
happened. Um, so, but it's had very good coaches. Uh, Chris Hurd's father, um, Willie Hurd, he was actually a big influence in a lot of the players coming over here because he knew what it would take for players to make it overseas um, because obviously his son done it. Um, and he put us, like say, in good stead, trained us well, uh, got us mentally prepared as well because it is a big um, task over here to do um, with how strict some of the coaches are and obviously get you ready for the fan fan abuse because you get that all around the world as well. Yeah, that's a really interesting point there. So John Delup is essentially um, the people within the club help you sort of get back to the UK because you have the passport. So there's no major issues visa wise and things like that. Do they arrange trials or, or recommend you and things like that? Um, yeah, so there's a Gary Williams who works as an agent. Um, he has obviously the contacts with the clubs uh, over here. Um, and when I was nine years old, so I was to England for a holiday uh, with my family um, and June Delup said you may as well get trials because we feel you're good enough and, and then it just went from there I went to Villa and Chelsea when I was nine uh, spent two weeks at each um, in the summer camp got invited back the following year and then agreed to come back four times a year up until I was 16. That's incredible you know that is that's quite a commitment and obviously that must be quite a not a headache but a real discussion point for your family as well I mean you, you'll have family over here and things like that but to be away from your son for you know at that young an age it's quite a thing isn't it yeah obviously at the end of the day it was my dream to become a professional footballer um, and my parents have stuck by me with everything that I've done they've always supported me I think my dad's missed like when I was younger I think he missed one training session and one game my whole life and that was obviously due to work commitments uh, but apart from that they've always been my, by my side I've always been my dad's shadow uh, so I have to take my hat off to them and how much they did for me and hopefully I can repay them now obviously with the rewards that I'm getting yeah so let's move to England then so Aston Villa and Chelsea are, are liking you. They're inviting you back. When did you have to make the decision of going Villa or was there no decision to make? Uh, so before my 12th birthday, um, Villa offered me a, well, they offered me a four-year contract up until I was 16. But it was, uh, so obviously I couldn't really sign it. It was verbally really. So they said, we'll keep you until 16 um, and we'll fly you over four times a year. Uh, we'll pay for your expenses regarding, obviously, my flights, accommodation and things like that. So, and I was still obviously living back in Australia, but I was training back there as well. So they trusted the exercises and things that I was doing with ECU Joondalup. And then when I was coming over, they were still impressed. And then obviously I moved over at 16 years old to start my uh, scholarship, one year scholarship and then two year professional contract. Yeah. And where are you staying? Because, you know, you have this lovely mix of Australian, Brummy and Londoner <laughs> um, as far as your accent's concerned. So when, you, when you're doing the travelling, where are you staying in Birmingham? Uh, yes. So obviously when I was uh, up at Villa, um, I was staying in a hotel up there. Um, and then when I was down in London, because all my family are from London, um, obviously my auntie and uncle, they all live there. So I was staying down there for the uh, duration of that time. Farouche's delivery and Carl! Oh! 
So Aston Villa, Aston Villa are, are hugely respected in in the youth game. Well, they're a massive, massive football club. Don't get me wrong, but they particularly have a good reputation, especially in the time um, before that you are around and during of bringing through loads of former Aston Villa players that you played alongside, still kicking around leagues one, two, the Championship, and of course the Premier League, which you don't really see. And I've been talking to footballers for like two years now and it's amazing how many players do drop out sadly but Aston Villa does have a very good success rate doesn't it? Yeah and that was one of the reasons why I went there as a young kid because I saw that I had an opportunity of making it professionally Um, so I was looking at players like Gabby Agbon Lahore um, then you had like Gary Gardner people like that Barry Bannon Andy Wyman all them players were older than me and I could see them getting an opportunity. So I basically thought, why couldn't I? Um, but they have been renowned for bringing players through. Um, not so much recently, um, apart from obviously Jack Grealish, who's an outstanding player. Um, but he's deserved everything that he's got um, regarding football-wise. Um, but apart from that, the other players have gone on so, which isn't a bad thing, but gone on to play for other clubs and perform well, like you say, in the Championship and the leagues below, but also the Premier League. So let's talk about the secret to Aston Villa's success. Let's start with the coaches. So before we go to under-18s, when you're when it's getting really, really serious, not, that's not serious before that, but that's when you're like fighting for careers and things like that. Who were your coaches at under-16, 17 level? And what, what do they do that that is so successful? To be fair, the biggest thing that I noticed, well, remembered from when I was younger, um, I had a lot of one-to-one sessions um, because I was coming in the school holidays. So while the kids are at school, I was stuck at the hotel. So there was um, coaches like Mark Delaney, Sean Verity. uh, They were saying, come in and just do like a one-to-one session for a couple of hours. And that helped me massively um, growing up. So I had a bit of an advantage on the kids that were at school over here. Uh, but then obviously when I got to 16, um, Mark Delaney was our under-16s coach. And they start to teach you tactical things regarding the game, um, different formations, like how other teams play, because there's many different ways teams play nowadays. And that's what's good about football. So you have to adapt. And I would say that's the probably the most important thing regarding football now. There's so many different aspects of the game that you have to learn. Um, and that's why it's difficult, I would say, to make it as a professional footballer. What did you struggle with personally when you were going through? Because it's not always easy. It's tough, you know, to, to, to get through this system. What, what bit did you struggle with, if anything at all? Um, I would probably have to say mentally. Yeah. Um, it is quite stressful, um, like the uncertainty with everything. You don't know whether you're going to get picked. Um, which can obviously cause uh, other effects than injuries because then you start to worry and things like that. Um, So that's probably the hardest thing, but there are people at clubs now who do sit you down and help your coaches do it as well. Um, But at the end of the day, I think you do have to be quite thick-skinned to be a footballer uh, because it is a ruthless industry. I've seen so many of my mates growing up um, think that they're going to make it, think that they're there, or even like myself, like you're on the doorstep of the first team 
and then yet you're so far away because there's eight people ahead of you. So it, it is a ruthless industry and then all of a sudden you just let go. Um, and I think there probably does need to be something in where they help you after you leave the club. Um, I know it's difficult because it's like any job. If you get sacked, they're not going to help you after. But mentally, they build you up so much to then take that pedestal off. It, it, it can be very difficult. Um, I did have a good support network uh, regarding family, my host family and people like that to help me. So I was quite lucky. But like I say, not everyone has that. I think there are some some organisations and some football clubs that, you know, that there's exhibitions where... They, they send the under-18s to and things like they promote collegiate education in the USA. And and a lot of people think, or it certainly used to be the case, footballers would think, if I show interest in something after football, it means I'm not hungry enough to be a footballer and it might be seen as, as a you know, in a detrimental way to my career. Do you think there's something to that? Or do you think there should be more sort of, um, like promoting life after football life after football is massive um because at the end of the day football is a short career um and like you say the success rate is very low i think it's probably like 15 percent from each team um who make it like 15 percent of players it's like a conveyor belt a lot of the top clubs they do the college degree and things like that the bmet course um so i was lucky enough to do that because like you say, if you do fall back, um, well, if you do get released, then you can fall back on that. Uh, we also do a coaching course. So I would like to stay in the game after football anyway, and I'm sure many other footballers would agree with me with that. Do you feel the stress? And you said you talk about mentally, you know, the, the mental side of things. But as a collective, as a squad, when you go into games, when you're in the changing rooms, when you're just socialising... Do footballers fret about the future or is it one of those things that are just kept, you know, to yourself and you talk to the relevant people? Or do you just sort of sometimes have like conversations where you're like, what if they don't give me a deal? What, you know, what do I do next? Or is it? Um, well, you sort of talk about that with your basically your own network. Um, so like your family and friends and close people like that. Um, but there are people in the game. Uh, that do help you as well we've got a psychologist at Swindon who helps us a lot um, speaks with us regularly her name's Claire um, she's very close with the gaffer and the gaffer's organized it and she's helped a lot of us uh, but then there's experienced pros in each squad um, I'll take Swindon for example the likes of Danny Rose Owen Doyle uh, Baldry people like that because they've been around the game for so long they've experienced many things um, like many different things that have halted their careers or halted other people's careers so they've got a lot of experience and passing their knowledge on and experience of the game helps everyone um, because look it is better to speak to people um, and they've helped me a lot this year so I take my hat off to them. Yeah it's really reassuring and good to hear that a manager who played almost 700 times in competitive football recognises that not everybody is going to be as lucky as he was or as or as you know good as he was as a footballer to maintain a career for that long but still sees it and and reaches out to the squad well yeah exactly and i think that's what will make the gaffer a very good man um he like you say he played 700 career games and at a top level it wasn't just at the lower level so he knows what he's talking about he's had a lot of experience in the game he's got a lot of contacts as well 
Um, so that's why we were lucky enough to build a squad this year uh, to build um, to go for promotion, and thankfully we did. Yeah, let's go back to Villa then, because there's still loads to dissect, really. Because you guys, you play so much football before the senior team at under 21, under 18 level, and you had the next gen series as well. I mean, your your coaches, from what I can see there, I mean. Gordon Cowan's being one former England international, also uh, also a very good footballer from his day, and and the other one being ex Swindon manager Kevin McDonald, Kevin McDonald, you know, who's who's hugely respected. I remember when he joined Swindon, the amount of good wishes that we got from Villa fans when he was when he was recruited by Swindon was was vast. Um, what were your experiences of those guys? Well, obviously, Gordon Cowens, we'll start with. Um, he was an icon at Villa. He was a legend. Um, he won the European Cup with them for the senior team. And to have someone like that as your reserve manager, um, looking up to and being the position that I was, his son was actually the same age as me. We grew up from when we was nine together, uh, Henry Cowens. Um, so, people like to have them people around you and like I say, to teach their knowledge and experiences of the game can only help you. Uh, and I was thankfully enough, lucky enough to be part of the next gen winning squad. Uh, so I can actually say that I was champion of Europe uh, <laughs> when I was 19. Well, I was 17 at the time, uh, but it was an under 19 tournament. Uh, I played in majority of the games up until the final. So I was glad to be a part of that. Uh, but the manager of that was Tony McAndrew and he had that old discipline approach, uh, got us in good stead. We were a well-disciplined team, but we also had talent. We worked hard, got us fit and things like that. So I have to take my hat off to him. But the person who influenced me the most, I would have to say, is Kevin McDonald. Um, what he'd done for a lot of the youth players and reserve players coming through at Aston Villa, I feel he's the reason why a lot of them have made it. Um, in the professional game. He was always tough on us, things like that, but he also knew when to put his arm around you uh, to help you, so I take my hat off to him. Yeah, I mean, what happened to him at Swindon was unfortunate because he was recruited. I think he just had a look around at what, what the future held for Swindon at that moment in time and just thought, you know what, this isn't going to work out. So he, he bolted pretty quickly after, uh, well, just before the season started, after the unsuccessful playoff attempt. But yeah, hugely respected. I mean, there have been things in the news about him and it's 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 really awkward sort of conversation. We won't go into do it, to it in too much detail, but it's it's just, I, I, again, through talking to players from his generation, I think it's kind of hard for players who were treated a certain way and they have to adapt so quickly to modern approaches to football coaching, don't they? Well, yeah. Um, and obviously coaches do have to adapt as well. Yeah. Uh, but if you ask the majority of players that have made it professionally, the likes of Barry Bannon, Gabby Agbonahor and people like that, uh, I'm sure that they'll would, they would back me as well in saying how good Kevin McDonald was um, as a person and as a manager. Um, so I know there has been some accusations regarding him um, and I was actually interviewed about it at the club uh, but I backed Kev to the, like, backed him to the hill um, because of how much he helped me in making the player that I am today Yeah, let's talk about that next gen series because that was good fun I, I, it didn't last very long because, uh, because I think the financial climate and it did 
you know, looking at the fixtures, it probably was quite a, a costly venture, but it, it looks like a really beneficial way for young players to play against the best young players across Europe. I mean, you play sport in of Portugal quite often, and you know the final you beat Chelsea, your team. Uh, yeah, and there are a lot of players that uh, participated in that um, competition that have gone on to do great things. Um, even we beat Chelsea in the final. Uh, Dion Conroy was actually on the bench, so I've, I've known Dion for quite a while anyway. Um, but they had players like Nathan Aki. Uh, Andreas Christensen, um, Jamal Blackman in goal, Lewis Baker. So they had some top quality players. Um, but luckily enough, we beat them 2-0 in the final. So it just goes to show like how talented of a group that we had um, to beat Chelsea in the final. We beat Sporting Lisbon in the semi-final. Um, Olympiacos uh, in the quarters. Then Ajax away, which I would have to say is probably the toughest game that I've played in at youth level. Um, they had some unbelievable players. Uh, and then we had the likes of Celtic, PSV in our group. So it was a great experience for, obviously, I was only 17 at the time, um, to be travelling all around Europe to play the best clubs in the world. Um, and it was a shame that they cancelled it after the year that we won it as well, so we couldn't even defend our title. Um, but like I say, it was a great experience for us. And because at professional level, you do that. Yeah. First team then, so at what stage or what age were you when it was beginning to become apparent that the first team were interested in bringing you more in towards that part of the club as opposed to the as opposed to the under-23s? Uh, I remember Paul Lambert um, calling me up for a training session. I was 17 at the time, 16, 17, and I'd have to say it probably is the best training session that I've ever had. <laughs> uh, which obviously put in a very good first impression. Um, so ever since then, I just pushed on, kept working hard in the youth setup, and then in the reserves under Kevin McDonald, um, just waiting for an opportunity. Some gradually getting called into more and more training sessions, and then it got to I was nineteen, um, and then I started to travel away with the squad um, to away games like the first team squad and things like that. I had to do my initiation song and things um, like that. Uh, and then I luckily enough made my debut in the FA Cup against Wickham um, and then in the replay I started because we drew away and then we won 2-0 at home uh, so I actually started the um, the replay uh, and then I was still travelling in and around the first team and then I was lucky enough to make my Premier League debut. We need to know that initiation song before we start talking about football, what was it? Uh, Let Me Love You by Mario, and I'm not going to sing it now. wasn't going to ask, but you know <laughs> that wouldn't be fair on you because I didn't ask any of the others to provide <laughs> theirs. You know, it's it's better to sing one than to pay the fine, like dear old Rob Hunt would do. So um, yeah, I mean, you've walked me through those early stages, the Wickham games, and how much. And I ask this question a lot. I ask a lot of the same questions, but I think they're all relevant and they all have different responses. But how important to you, for somebody you know who's gone to play Ajax at youth level, it's great, it's tough, but it isn't the real thing. Is is 
the impression I get when when I talk to footballers. How important was that debut at Wickham and that that playing ninety minutes in in the in the return game? Um, yeah, obviously it was a great feeling for myself and my family. Um, it wasn't actually a nice atmosphere at the time uh, because we was struggling as a club. Um, it was the down um, when we were bottom of the league. Uh, things weren't going well for us. Uh, there was a bit of um, mix, like mixture of players that weren't really getting on and things like that. Um, and there was a divide, uh, which obviously shown on the pitch. But to make a debut like for a professional club that I'd been at since I was young, nine years old, uh, like I say, was a great feeling for me. What's it like being a teenager in the changing rooms or in the uh, in the training ground when you know that things aren't good, regardless of where you are on the table, the squad the squad is isn't getting along, and you're just there going, ah, I just want to play, man. <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. So I was um, getting frustrated on the side because I was seeing the club obviously lose games and felt that I could make an impact and things like that. Um, but there were some top quality players in there and some experienced professionals. So I remember, like, obviously you had Jolene Lescott, Mika Richards, uh, Brad Guzan, Gabby Agbonahor. So they helped me settle in as well because it is quite daunting for a 19-year-old to be just thrown in the deep end like that um, during all that. So they helped me a lot, so I have to thank them. Well, we'll talk about baptism of fire for your debut in the Premier League, um, for which you play four times in at the, as the season is, is going ever closer to relegation um, for Aston Villa. 24-plus minutes against Liverpool <laughs> in, a, in a packed Villa Park. Villa Park is a ground that I really, really like. The whole tend is, is brilliant. I've been in the whole tend, and it, it is something else. But the result isn't great. The, the game is done by the time you get on. 6-0 home loss. And you were talking about the fan atmosphere. I mean, if that doesn't make or break you, I don't know what will. Yeah, well, and that's like, it brings me back to mentally being prepared. Uh, obviously, I came on at 5-0. Um, like you say, the game was done playing against some of the best players in the world and one of the biggest clubs in the world, Liverpool. Um, but to make your Premier League debut, it was something that it was a dream of mine since I was a kid. So I forget about the score now um, because I can say that I've played in the Premier League. So it is a great feeling and it is a great achievement for myself. Um, so I'm proud of that. But like I say, the result at the end of the day wasn't great. And we were on a downward spiral, um, which obviously wasn't good for the fans and the club because it is a massive club, Aston Villa. Uh, and the fan support and the fan base that they have, like you say, they fill out Villa Park and the noise that they produce is unbelievable sometimes. Do you feel that because of what was happening to Villa probably benefited you because, you know, at 5-0 down, they're not going to stick on the, 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 the more senior players. They might as well give minutes to the up-and-coming players, right? Well, yeah, exactly. Um, and I was hoping that I would actually get more appearances maybe because of that. Um, but I was happy with, like you say, the four appearances that I had. Uh, one of the biggest game that I remember or the main memory that I remember was Bournemouth at home where I started my first Premier League game and they were calling out the names over the panel like over the uh, speaker and the fans were actually booing out some of our own players which obviously to me I'm making my first team debut like mm. starting a Premier League game and I'm hearing our own fans boo some of our own players and it's like 
bit mixed really uh, but obviously when I came to me they gave me the biggest cheer because I was a homegrown talent coming through they know that I'm going to give 110% even though I do that anyway um, but it was like a, a lease of a new lease of life um, for them they hadn't really seen much of me so and I've done well in that game um, but like I say that's something that I'll never forget as well when you're warming up and the way Vida Park has those big screens and when they're doing the announcements during during warm-up it usually cuts away to you folding your arms or whatever and things like that did you have like a sneaky eye on the big screen when when they just about to call out Jordan Leiden? Uh I did actually <laughs> uh, it is only natural uh, because obviously you hear it and it but your home fans are the ones that get you through the home games and that's why the home form is massive um, and that's why Villa have always been renowned. Villa Park is a fortress because of the home fans that they have. Uh, they do produce a lot of noise and a lot of support, which gets you over the line. Yeah. Was it Remy Garda that gave you your debut? Uh, he gave me my debut in the FA Cup. And then I had Eric Black for later on in the season. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember Remy Garda. I watched him play for Arsenal when I was younger. And, you know, he he was on a hiding to nothing, it felt, at the time. Um, and then Eric Black, really experienced assistant manager, isn't he? So, I mean, what, what was it like for the managers during that spell? Uh, it would have been tough um, because, like you say, uh, there was a divide within the group. Um, which obviously isn't healthy for the club, but they did do their best. Um, unfortunately, we did ultimately get relegated, uh, which was obviously a sad time for the club and it was a sad time for my career um, because at the end of the day, that is on my CV, which I didn't want to be a part. Like I didn't want to have that, uh, but I am grateful that I played during that season because it did teach me a lot moving forward. Yeah, and of course you were there when, when Julian Lescott did the tweet. <laughs> Yeah, pocket dial, eh? Well, to be fair, well he he has come out and spoke about it. Um, but Jolene was a great professional. Uh, while he was there, he he did help a lot of the youngsters coming through. Him and Mika Richards were very close. Um, but they they they've all been young professionals at the end of the day, and they've know what it takes to become or have a good career in the game. Um, so it is good to learn their knowledge and experiences from the game. So I listen to a lot of things that they said because at the end of the day, they've won They've won the Premier League. So you can't disrespect um, players like that. I know some things they've said or done haven't been what pleases everyone. Um, but at the end of the day, they have had very good careers. I'm not going to lie to you, Jordan. I love it when those sort of things happen. I find it very, very funny. I love the reactions that people... <laughs> Well, to be fair, it does make the fans um, come out with some funny stuff. Like I see some things on Twitter um, that where fans are funny and they come out with gifts and one-liners and things like that. So it does, it is entertaining. Yeah, if you if you if you filter out the people that have taken it far too seriously, it's it's very very funny. Let's let's mix a bit of Chelsea before we move on to other bits because obviously you're Chelsea fans. So I've got to acknowledge that you play against them, and then in the summer you know, a, a Chelsea favourite hero, I, I, whether he's a legend, decide, you decide, probably is. Yeah, Roberto Di Matteo, yeah, exactly. Um, Roberto Di Matteo joins and, you know, he won the Champions League somehow with, with Chelsea during that, that short spell. And now he's at Villa. You must have been over the moon. Yeah, I was. Um, and it was a player that my dad looked up to when he was growing up. Um, so he was telling me stories about him and things like that. 
but when he came in, um, he brought a lot of players um, in from other championship clubs, getting us prepared. Um, so I sort of fell down the pecking order a bit, um, but I was still working hard. I was still part of the first team and things like that. Um, but we didn't actually have a great first season and then unfortunately he did get sacked. Yeah, and like you say, you're not in the picture that much. It looks like that you, you do what a lot of clubs do. You are the League Cup squad. Um, I don't know if you're the 19th man during the first bit of the championship season. But when, you, when you've when you sort of played X amount of games in the Premier League at the end, you didn't disgrace yourself at all. Are you sort of at that stage, because you don't play much senior football no, at all? Um, are, you, are you angling for a loan move at that stage? Well, that was unfortunately where I started to pick up the injuries ah. um, that I was getting. Uh, I picked up an injury on the final day of the season uh, with 12 minutes to go against Arsenal. Uh, I ripped my quad uh, and I was out for three months. So that was a nice, and that was just the start of just ongoing niggly injuries that I just couldn't seem to break off. Um, so obviously, when I came back for pre-season, uh, I'd done it again, um, and then I managed to do the other side. So it was just wasn't things weren't going right. But whether that was due to I don't know being mentally not ready because I was trying to impress so much because I had to because there were other players ahead of me. So I was constantly at it 110% every single day where the senior pros can relax a bit on their day because they know they're already part of the plans. So that's why it's very difficult for um, for youngsters coming through. And I know everyone says oh, some players are injury prone and made of glass and things like that, but they don't understand what actually goes on during them times for people to get injured. So, because at the end of the day, we are humans at the end of the day. We, we're not robots. We can't train seven days a week because your body will break down. Yeah. What what sort of stuff goes on? Um, well, it is just things like that. Mentally, um, I was always, because Villa was at a stage where there was many managers coming in. So, I was always having to impress um, like a new um, first impression, really. Uh, then when a new manager would come in, they would bring their own players in. So I remember at one time there was eight centre mids in Villa's first team. So I was thinking, well, I've got to make sure that I'm better than them. So I'm doing things after training, I'm doing extras. And I was just fatiguing my muscles and fatiguing my body where I was just breaking down. Uh, so it is finding that balance. And that's why now I've got to a maturity age. Uh, where I can speak up for myself and say, no, I'm not training today because I feel a little bit tight. Um, and the gaffer at Swindon has allowed me to do so. So I've been thankful for him and he's put his trust in me. So I have to thank him for this season so far. Nice. A little detour because I want to acknowledge it. Socceroos. So you did play at youth level for Australia. Um, I think he played against Hong Kong and maybe one or two other games. Um, how difficult is it for you to commit to playing for Australia when you're so focused on making sure that your pro career, your domestic career is is, is moving forward, but at the same time, international call-ups are hard to refuse? Well, well, exactly. And I think if you have a 
very if you're doing well for your club, uh, I think you should automatically be picked uh, for your country. Um, and there are many players that play abroad who are called up for Australia. Obviously, the travelling don't really help uh, because of the jet lag and things like that. Um, but hopefully this year, now that I'm playing League One, um, I can perform at a high level and uh, hopefully get a call up for the Socceroos. Yeah, in, in my research, there are noises. There are noises for you. Uh, well, to be fair, I've always been on the radar because I have been overseas for so long. They do respect um, players because obviously the playing in the Premier League and the English leagues um, are highly thought of. Uh, so I think I have been on the radar. I've had uh, some conversations with them. Um, but like I say, I just have to let my football do the talking for my club, uh, which is Swindon at the moment. Um, and hopefully, like I say, get called up. And things like, does, does the fact that we had Maslowongo when we were in the third tier and he went and had that great Asian Cup, does that does that sort of, was that in your mind when you joined Swindon? Or was it just uh, a lucky oh, coincidence? I knew about- I knew about Mass uh, before I joined um, from his days at Tottenham, um, but he had a very good spell at Swindon. Um, and like you said, when he was playing in the third tier, he went over to play for his country and done unbelievably well, um, which got him a move to the championship in Queen's Park Rangers. And that's where he got Asia Player of the Year. So I respect Mass and what he's done in his career because he is only three years older than me at the end of the day. Um, but he is a very good player absolutely criminal that he went to two world cups and he didn't play him once yeah i know because he is like i say a very good player but there are there are good uh midfielders in australia i personally think that he should be starting um but then you've got like aaron moy jackson irvine and people like that so there there are many good australians that do play abroad um and midfield generally seems to be the position that everyone plays yeah a couple of minutes wouldn't have gone amiss in the second well, one wouldn't have gone amiss at all you, you captains Aston Villa, Next Gen, all that. Were, were, did England ever sniff around? Um, well, to be fair, a lot of people probably just think that I'm Australian because I'm born there. But like I so said, I do have the dual passport, dual nationality. Um, but if it was to come down to it, I would pick Australia anyway, just because of where I was born. Um, and I was raised there for 16 years. So obviously, I, I, if I ask my parents the question, I'm sure that they'll probably say, no, pick England. Nice, good. Listen to your mum and dad always. Okay, <laughs> um, you had a loan spell at Oldham nearer to the end of your Villa career. Um, you know, Oldham are a tough team to talk about because so much goes on behind the scenes, um, and it's not my business nor my podcast to talk about that. This is a Swindon podcast, but it was a very eventful one for you. Um, again, managers coming and going. I think Pete Wild was in charge by the time you finished there. But what is best remembered for that spell would have been the the FA Cup games like you played in two the first one you were on the brink of getting knocked out by a non-league team and in your final game you knock out Fulham which you know again Chelsea boy um, must have been quite uh, satisfying Uh, it was Uh, I still remember the first game because it was actually on TV Um, so we had a lot of the country watching um, it's always difficult going to them non-league teams because it's their FA Cup final day um, and the ref actually gave a dodgy penalty decision uh, and I think the player was actually done for diving after um, for um, not make, not giving the referee what, what's the word I'm trying to think 
can't even think of the word now. Um, but yeah, so we got that. Yeah, con- sorry, yeah, condom. <laughs> um, so that was what it was. Uh, and then we were trailing. We batted them all game, but we just couldn't score. Uh, and then, thankfully enough, uh, Callum Lang scored the winner at the end, um, which put us into the next round uh, where we played Maidstone, but I didn't play in that game. I wasn't part of that. Uh, and then the Fulham game, which I would have to say was probably one of the best feelings or best experiences that I've had as a um, as a professional. I like how you ignore the fact that Rob Hunt got that late equaliser against Hampton and Richmond. Oh, uh, yeah. I only just remembered that. <laughs> what a thing it was. I remember watching that game because you know what the BBC are like when those games, they're obsessed with the notion of the cup upset and you know that it's getting ever closer and Rob Hunt's equaliser is two minutes before the end and then Oldham um, steal it right at the end and, you know, the flat, everything just got so flat in the crowd and on the commentary as well. There, there is the first of a f- good few questions from listeners. It comes from Josh Phelps and it's in relation to that Fulham game. He asks, is Niskan's Cabano on your Christmas card list yet? <laughs> Um, probably it's, not. It's a great picture, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, I still remember it. I'll watch it back on the highlights. Um, <laughs> and that was another player that tried conning the referee uh, with a ridiculous dive. But then also Tom Kearney done it and conned the referee. And they got a penalty, which thankfully uh, Daniel Iverson, who's at Leicester but on loan at Rotherham, he's just got promoted as well. He saved Mitrovic's penalty. Um, but yeah, no, he's definitely not on my Christmas list yet. Be honest, do you have like a big framed picture of that of that of that shot? I haven't got it framed, no. But my mum, <laughs> she thinks that's my favourite photo, but she doesn't know where I get it from. Uh, my competitiveness, like that. <laughs> so, but no, it, it is a very good photo. Uh, standing over him, um, pointing at him. But it's like I say, it's the heat of the moment. I get quite flared up in football I'm like I say very competitive I always want to win um, and I can't stand people that try con and cheat um, referees like that so yeah I won't uh, ask you what you said um, during that <laughs> moment I'm sure he's play the game fairly Mr Cabano I'm sure it's yeah like... well it was along them lines I'd say <laughs> <laughs> Williams looking for the early cross he's come in step to uh... Swindon take the lead, another blow for Brentford after their devastation of just a week ago. Well, we talked about a team finding a piece of real quality. We've just seen it for Massimo Luongo, the touch of quality we needed. It's a stunning opening goal. You're listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. So, was the writing on the wall for you in regards to Villa quite in advance, or were you? Were you... I found out in so I came back from Oldham, um, and on my first training session back, um, this was another thing where I felt I was mismanaged. Um, I had three games in seven days, which is quite a lot, uh, and then I was Dean Smith called me back because he wanted to have a look at me so which were, obviously I was delighted to uh, I went back uh, on the uh, Monday so I had Monday off because the uh, FA Cup game against Fulham was on the Sunday 
So I went in Monday, um, spoke with him, had recovery day, which obviously is normal after a game. Uh, but then on Tuesday, I should have had a seven-day recovery. Um, but instead, I'd done a t- uh, two sessions uh, where I should have spoke up and said, no, I need a second-day recovery. But I want, like I say, I wanted to impress the manager because I didn't want to come back and think, oh, he's, what, he just wants another day on the treatment table or things like that. I wanted to impress, but it comes back to the thing where new managers are coming in. Uh, and unfortunately, I've ripped my quad. Uh, I had a shot at the end of the training session. It was a freak accident, um, freak incident, sorry. And I was out for the rest of the season for a scan, and I tore my tendon by about 12 centimetres or something. So it was quite a nasty injury, uh, which put me out for the rest of the season, which I was gutted with. Um, I burst into tears on the training pitch. Um, and then my agent went in and spoke with him about March time this was and they ultimately said that we're going to release him uh, which I was gutted about obviously because I'd been there for 14 years uh, and then I did have a, actually a very stressful summer um, because I didn't know where I was going I didn't know what was happening uh, I went down to South End for a week then they said that they didn't um, they couldn't offer a contract um, so then I was thinking, well, I can't even get a club. And I was seeing other players that had been released from Villas under 23s who would manage to get clubs like Cambridge, um, Carlisle. And then I'm there without a club, having played four times in the Premier League. So I was thinking, like, what's happening? Am I going to have to go back to Australia? Um, so it was quite a stressful summer for me. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, uh, Rob Hunt gave me a call. Um and he spoke to me, he said, like, what's happening? Uh, and then he mentioned about Swindon. And then the gaffer got in touch with me. And then as soon as that happened, I was delighted to come um, because he told me the aspirations of the club, how it was moving forward, um, how we were going to fight for promotion, um, the squad that we had. I knew some of the boys anyway, um, Zeki Fryers, Dion, from previously uh, playing against them and things like that. Um, and then once the gaffer got in touch with me, I just couldn't wait to get going. Yeah, I mean, Jamie Townsend asked, uh, what made you pick Swindon? And it sounds like, you know, you didn't have much choice, but thank goodness what you were provided with was a good little project. Three days prior to the gaffer calling me, I actually went up to Oldham um, because I was thinking, like, I had a connection there anyway, having been on loan. Uh, They actually did offer me a contract. Oh, right. Uh, But, like you say, with behind the scenes and things like that, um, and... When, like I say, once the gaffer, because I knew about the gaffer anyway with the career he had, I knew the type of player that he was, so I know what football he was going to try and um, play for the team. Uh, so, like I say, when he did get in contact with me, I just I drove down the next day actually, and then uh, I played against Manu in that um, pre-season friendly game for 20 yeah. minutes. So that was the first time that I'd spoke with him. I think that's a really important point that you raised there about like your career because. You know, a lot of football fans don't understand why a footballer would sign for Macclesfield, for example, um, in the last year, because we all see the problems they face, you know, news that they don't pay players on time and things like that. But if you haven't got options and you want to be a pro footballer, you've got to make those decisions. And, you know, you got an offer by a team that you knew that, you know, may not be the greatest move for you but if it was your only option you were willing to take it 
Well, exactly. You have to sometimes take the scraps to build back up. And um, that's what I'm doing in my career. I wanted to start again, pretty much prove myself because a lot of people, because the reason why people weren't touching me was because they were saying that I was injury prone. But that frustrated me and annoyed me because they didn't know what happened during them injuries and why I got them injuries. If I was able to manage my own body and speak up for myself because I didn't feel like intimidated or I didn't not want to impress them because I had to. Um, but now I've managed myself this season, my first, you could say, first real professional season in the game. Um, and look how many games I've played. Obviously, I could have played more. I did have a little setback against Leighton Orient. Um, and then the freak accident of training on Astro turf where I rolled my ankle. You can't put that down to an injury-prone player because that could have happened to anyone. So it was frustrating, but now I've got to prove myself again, which I'm willing to do. So I'm glad the gaffer's given me a chance, an opportunity, um, and hopefully I've repaid him this season. Yeah, I would say that is very much the case. Uh, I think it's it's one of those things about injuries because when I spoke to Baudry um, a, a month or so ago, you could tell how frustrated he was with this sort of label of being injury prone. And the day you signed for Swindon, or the day you were at the county ground. No, it was the day you you were you were unveiled. I was in the county ground as well because I, I had my first chat with um, Richie Wellens for this podcast, and it was a bit delayed because you were doing the uh, doing the shirt scarf in the air and all that malarkey, and I was already bricking it because I'm you know I'm a little bit frightened of Richie Wellens. You know he he, <laughs> he is so generous with his time, but he talks to you like a, like he's a PE teacher who, <laughs> as long as you play for the club. I'm there talking to him and, you know, well, I was there sweating his, his arrival. Um, but Ben let me know that he was going to be a bit delayed because you were in the building. Um, <laughs> and so I remember that really well. And I remember, because of course I'm a fan and I only look at, you look at previous uh, sort of form and things like that. And one of the questions that I had to ask him because it was raised was, why are you signing so many players with injury records? And you could tell that Richie Wellens was annoyed by this as well because he he knows footballers far better than we do as fans. And he was like, no. And he, he explained each and every person's sort of record. Well, and, and that's what it is. Um, like I say, everyone's different. Some people can train seven days a week um, because they're genetically able to. Um, but then other players like myself couldn't do that um, because it is. It's just down to how your body is. Um, and, yeah, you could say that Swindon did take a risk in signing uh, injury-prone players, but it's paid off at the end of the day because we're promoted as champions. Um, and we've all played our part. We've all played a lot of games. Um, and then you look at... Hopefully we can maybe well stick the group together and add a few new additions next year and even challenge for playoffs or finish as high as possible next year in League One. So yeah. you missed the trip to Spain, so they've all bonded pretty well. Um, how easy was it for you to integrate yourself in the squad? I mean, you, like you said, you already knew several players, and again, what was what was the initiation song? I didn't sing for Swindon. Uh, I paid the fine like honey. <laughs> I thought I've done it once. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> so I, I, I paid the fine. Um, but no, the boy welcomed me in uh, very well, um, which is obviously what all you can ask for. 
Um, and I think pl- what players do as well, uh, they, they they respect people on football. Uh, and luckily enough, in my early few games, um, I remember we played Bristol City in a uh, behind closed doors friendly. Uh, and then we also played Coventry, uh, where I got man of the match in at the county ground. So that was like the first real impression of the players um, that they saw of me as a footballer. Um, so I feel that I've gained their respect on that behalf. Um, so like I say, they welcomed me in really well. You're one of the couple of players in August that really hits the ground running in the in the first team. I would say um, you and Lloyd Isgrove are the, and, and Jerry are the early stars of the new of the new class. Um, would you say what you experienced in the summer with the uncertainty of where you were going to be, does that really motivate you to make sure that you are keeping your, your, your place in the first team at that point? Or is it just, uh, I was just playing my normal game? No, it probably would, to be fair, uh, because I, want, I was so desperate to prove myself. I, man, I kept myself fit over the summer uh, and then having gone to Southend and then Wickham for a bit. So I still kept on top of my fitness. So when I came to Swindon, I hit the ground running. Um, I wanted to show off my talent and things like that. So I, like you say, me and Izzy done really well in the early stages. Um, obviously, the pitchers help as well uh, because coming through winter, you can't you have to adapt your game um, because you can't get the ball down and play sometimes. And then we had them serious wins, which you couldn't play football in. It was just ridiculous. Um, but no, I was grateful for the start that I had and, um, well, the team took over, uh, well, carried on for the season and then it helped us in getting promotion. Yeah. How important is things like the pitch to you when you're looking for a new club or, because you played at Oldham, which, you know, Richie Wellens was a, you know, is a a critic of, of the conditions of the pitch, you know, it's sometimes beyond club's control, but Marcus Cassidy does a hell of a job at Swindon, doesn't he? Well, he does, um, and it shows the county grounds pitch throughout the season, even when it hit in February, it was still unbelievable to play on, probably one of the best in the league. Um, but it's not a League Two club, and I think everyone knew Swindon Town isn't a League Two club. Um, and obviously, when it's a nice pitch, you can play better football, and that's the football that we're trying to play, uh, where you see some teams like Northampton, when we played them, I think, did their midfield touch the ball? I think I went through a stage in that game where I didn't touch the ball for 10 minutes. Um, so it's it, it's a bit disappointing when you've still got teams playing like that, but it is effective for them. So I can't fault them in what they do um, because it's got them in the playoffs. It's got them high up in the league. So I do respect them in that sense, but that's not the type of football that I want to play. I want to get the ball down pass and move, things like that. So, And I, that's why I'm grateful to be at Swindon. What were the best moments for you? My best moment would obviously have to be the goal at Northampton. Um, it was quite a cagey game. Uh, there was a lot to play for in that game because they were high up in the league. We had teams on our heels. Um, and then to score... Well, I'd done the tackle about two minutes prior to that uh, where I stopped basically them scoring a goal um, and then to go up the other end and score like that, my first goal for Swindon, I was absolutely delighted. Yeah, let's, 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 let's get those questions done because a large percentage of the questions that I got was in relation to that goal. So Zane says, how tempting was it to jump into the crowd at Northampton when you scored? Sid Bardwell asks, explain the moment at Northampton. Was it the, one of the best moments of your career? 
Glenn Franklin asks, is scoring at Northampton in your top three moments of your career so far? And is it the top of your season personally, which you've already answered? And Ben Nichols says, uh, what's been your best game in a Swindon shirt? Has Wellens improved you as a player? If so, how? So we'll focus on Northampton at the moment. One, were you tempted to jump in the crowd? Uh, I was, yes. But in the back of my mind, I pick up some yellow cards in my uh, <laughs> career. So I didn't want to get a needless yellow card by jumping in because if I managed to get another yellow card, obviously I would have been sent off. Uh, so I had to think about that. But I was just buzzing with the fact that I scored. <laughs> didn't think about that against Bradford though, did you? Well, to be fair, I didn't think it was a red, but <laughs> we won't go into that, yeah. No, not at all. Okay, um, you've explained the the, the moment the build-up to the goal, but was it one of the best moments of your career so far? Um, I would have to say yes. Um, obviously, I remember um, I mentioned the Fulham game earlier for Oldham, um, but that as a collective, but for myself, uh, I would have to say yes. Um, like I say, to do the tackle, the last-ditch tackle, uh, two minutes prior, and then breaking from midfield into the box and scoring the header, I was just delighted to see that it hit the back of the net. So, yeah, I'd have to say it's the best moment in my career. And although that being a best moment, to go on to Ben Nichols's question here, was that your best game, though? Yeah, no, I would I would have to say probably Carlisle at yeah. home. It's a game that I can pick out in my head um, where I played very well uh, because I was actually up against Harry McCurdy, who okay. was at Villa pr- uh, previously as well. Um, and he came up to me after the game and he said, he said, there's no way that you should be playing League Two if you play like that every week. And I just said, I just have to prove myself. Um, so I, that's the game that stands out for me. Uh, and I actually got an assist in the game, but I don't think they gave it to me when I backheeled it. <laughs> and then Jerry, I think, yeah, it was Jerry that poked it in, but I never got that given to me. So is that the one where he's sort of, it's kind of like a bit of a, yeah, About two yards up. out, it just yeah, he just Four pokes people. it. Yeah, but no, that's my assist. I'm claiming that. <laughs> yeah, that three-two flattered uh, Carlisle that day. It really did. Um, yeah. What about Richie Wellens' influence on you? Because you know you've you've had some pretty you've had an impressive education with Aston Villa, and footballers learn all the way through their career. What, what has Richie Wellens done in the last season to help you progress? Um, he's done a lot for me. Uh, just simple things like putting his trust in me uh, is the best thing that you can give any footballer uh, because footballers feel then to repay the manager or repay another player and things like that. So the trust that he's put in me, um, I would now do anything for him regarding obviously playing on the pitch and working hard and things like that, taking everything that he says on board. Um, and it has helped me. Uh, develop as a player. Uh, he's given me confidence moving forward, uh, getting on the ball. He trusts my ability. So it's things like that which people probably don't see. Obviously, there's tactical sides of the game and technical sides which he knows a lot about because he's played 700 career games. So his experiences he can pass then onto the team. So on like a Friday afternoon when we're playing um, a team on Saturday. We would work on shape and how we're going to expose their weaknesses, but also counteract their strengths because each team does have their strength, but each team has weaknesses. So he's very good at studying different teams um, and it puts us in a good position to perform to our best ability to beat them and get the three points the following day. Yeah. 
Let's go through some Swindon-related questions from listeners. Philip Holloway asks, who's the best tackler at the club, you or Grants, or indeed anyone else? And Nathan James asks, who's the best at slide tackling in the squad, and who's the worst, yourself included? <laughs> um, me or Granny? Uh, to be fair, we're both quite similar in that aspect. Uh, I would say he's probably more intimidating because of his stature. I'm proud of him, and I'm sure... Pretty much every other midfielder in in the league wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of him, um, but I would probably have to say he he probably is a better tackler than me. I think um, he would agree. But I'm more yeah I'm more of probably a technical holding midfielder where I like to get on the ball, dictate play, and things like that. So, but that, like that that's what's good about our squad. Um, we have a lot of depth in every position, and that's what's made us champions because it's not just the eleven players on the pitch that perform for the club perform for the team sorry it's the whole playing it's the whole staff it's everyone behind the scenes as well yeah and who who is the worst uh the worst tackler it would probably have to be one of the forwards because then well i wouldn't want my forwards tackling they don't need to as long as they close them down to put people off and things like that that's that's what their job is to do their job's to score goals like doily has this season so it would probably have to be one of the forwards, but I couldn't name someone as the worst tackler because some of them probably have never tackled in their life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's very diplomatic until you stuck the foot in at the end. Nicely done. Um, Ian asks, who do you room with at Swindon and are there any stories? I'm not sure what he's asking for. <laughs> uh, I room with uh, Baldry, so we actually get on really well. Uh, I cook for myself though and he cooks for himself but we sit down and watch the football when it's on Sky Sports and things like that uh, we don't really sit down and watch films uh, we're not that sort he's always on FaceTime to his missus because obviously she lives back home with the kids so which obviously must be hard for him and that's what some people forget regarding footballers um, but no we get on really well so he's helped me a lot this year so I've been listening to like his experiences and what he can do to help me. So it's it's always good to speak to people who know a lot about football. So Yep. We're now going to drift towards the sillier questions. Are you ready? Yeah, go on. Yeah, well, Tyler first says, no questions, just tell him I love him. So there you go. Um, mm-hmm. Bless Tyler. Uh, Jack Tanner asks, who do you go for in the footy, West Coast or Frio? Uh, 100% West Coast Eagles. There we go. Uh, Pete Marsh asks, would you recommend Vegemite or do you prefer Marmite? What fine Australian wines do you like? Um, any recommendations? Uh, it has to be Vegemite. I can't stand Marmite. I think it's horrible. Um, and wine, I don't like the taste of at all. Uh, <laughs> I'm more of a lager beer person myself if I was to drink it. Um, but my parents, they drink wine. They've got a lot of uh, friends that have their own wineries in Australia because it is very popular. So, But I don't know any brand or any type in particular. Yeah, Martin Peters usually asks about Tim Tams at this moment, but he hasn't asked about them. He says... I, I like Tim Tams. You do like Tim Tams? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there we go. That, well, we've cleared it. Um, Martin Peters does ask, though, if you were offered a leading role in both Neighbours and home in a way, but you can only accept one. What are you choosing? Basically, Carl Kennedy versus Alf Stewart. That's Dr. Carl Kennedy to you, Martin. What are you going for? See, I've never watched an episode of Home and Away or Neighbours. <laughs> because my parents are obviously English, I was brought, I used to watch UK TV um, in Australia. It was actually a channel. 
so I used to watch English soaps like EastEnders, Coronation Street and things like that. I never watched uh, Australian TV soaps. Which is funny because of the um, how popular Neighbours and Home yeah, and Away. They, uh. they are very popular, but I just never could sit down and watch. To be fair, I can't stand the accent, even though <laughs> I supposedly have it. Oh, I look forward to when you get that Australia call up. Maybe that soundbite <laughs> will be used. Um, I haven't watched Home and Away for over 20 years, but I still know the words to the theme song. Remarkable stuff. Dan Hunt asks, do you follow cricket? Um, I watch, if the Ashes are on, I'll watch the Ashes and I will support Australia. Uh, however, I'm against my family in that sense because they're sat down watching the Ashes supporting England. So the Barmy Army. Um, but no, I'd have to go for... Um, Australia in the cricket but I'm not a big fan uh, I used to play it down the beach and things like that but not um, in, at any standard for everything your parents have done for you to disrespect them so often sporting wise with Australia <laughs> over England absolutely horrific to hear um, Dan also asks are you also aware of the amount of Aussies that we've had um, at Swindon Town before so we had Dave Mitchell Frank Talia, Danny Invincible and as we've discussed Maslow Wongo um, amongst others um, to be fair the only real Australian that I knew of who played for Swindon was Massimo Luongo um, because the previous players that played before they were obviously before my time I was only young um, but obviously I knew about Mass and I knew how Swindon used to play uh, because I played Swindon in a friendly five years ago Tim Sherwood was our manager and then obviously he went to Swindon as well so there was the link anyway so I knew a lot about Swindon before I joined Ash asks, what's the best stadium you've played in and the best moment in your career? Which uh, The best stadium I've played in would have to be Emirates, um, Arsenal Stadium. The size of the pitch is massive, uh, but the how the building is, you go down in the coach and it's like going through airport security, like underneath. Um, that was a great experience for myself, playing against some of the best players in the world, like Alexis Sanchez. Uh, Jack Wiltshire and people like that so yeah and uh, Dean Hazel says what's the worst part of being a professional footballer the worst part would have to be uncertainty um, not knowing what's happening uh, it's hard to make a schedule um, and then obviously you only get a certain amount of time off in the off season and things like that uh, injuries would obviously have to be up there as well. Um, some are uncontrollable and some are controllable. Um, but the, it would have to be them two things which ultimately come down to stress as well. Um, the pressure of having to perform at your best ability every single day um, and still not knowing what's going to happen because I scored against Northampton uh, and then the following game... I was actually on the bench against Grimsby, so I could have had the ump and things like that. But the professional that I am, uh, I wanted to just prove a point when I got on the pitch with 30 minutes to go and help the team get the three points because that's what matters at the end of the day. It's not about myself or my, obviously, my performance helps the team. But at the end of the day, the three points is what matters for the club. Lovely. Daniel Thomas asks, Iron Man or Captain America, which one are you choosing? Uh, Iron Man, definitely. Nathan James comes back with a Nathan James question. If you could pick any member of the squad as a wingman on a night out, who would you pick? 
probably Jerry Yates. Um, not a bad looking bloke, and he's to be fair, he's got the chat. He's always fun. he's the funniest in the in the team. I'd have to say. We're on the home straight now, so the standard question: people been waiting for it. What's your favourite cheese? <laughs> My favourite cheese. Yeah. Um, I like red Leicester. Um, I put that in my sandwiches, and I, I've actually got a Breville maker. Oh uh, yes! So I put uh, red Leicester cheese with like ham or a bit of chicken or something in there, and I have toasties quite often. So I got that as a birthday present. This is dangerous ground. Uh, someone's already mentioned uh, cheese toasty makers on this, and I, I threatened to turn it into an hour conversation about the joys of Breville's. Um, you, you've you've nailed it there. Cheese with a uh, with some uh, ham, perfect. How do you feel about cheese slices, processed cheese in there? Uh, yeah, well, to be fair, I'll put them on. I've actually, last night I went food shopping and I bought Red Leicester cheese slices. So yeah. <laughs> it's easier rather than just cutting it. Though, um, yeah. hassle, it? There is the processed cheese ones as well, the ones that go on like burgers, but the problem is they get, they, they turn to molten lava. Um, so do be wary of that um, if you ever go down the processed sliced cheese route um, feel free to contact me if you need any assistance in that respect next question um, who would be in your Swindon Town Fiverside team oh from all players this year yeah yep uh, I would put Stephen Bender in goal mm-hmm. uh, then I would have Dion Conroy um, at the back uh, I would have myself I can put myself in, yeah? Of course you can. <laughs> I'll put myself in. I'll put Danny Rose. Uh, he's a tidy footballer, keeps the ball well. Uh, and I'd have to put DJ in. His one-on-one abilities, second to none. I've, I haven't seen someone probably as technically gifted as he is. Dion always gets in. Unbelievable footballer, that's why. Which two teammates would finish in the last two of a WWE Royal Rumble and who would win? I'll have to go for the big boys of Granny and Tom Broadbent, Brody. Who would win between that? I would say Granny would probably win. Let's end with, with Swindon Town because, I mean, at the moment, I don't know what you can what you can mention, but when you got injured before the lockdown and the suspension and ultimate end of the season, it sounded like your agent and yourself were very keen to sign a new deal. The, the terminology that's been used since has been a little bit vague. Is it done as far as you're concerned or is there still uh, stuff to be done? No, it's done. So I'm delighted to be a Swindon Sound player um, and I just want to perform in. I can't wait to get going in League One now. Uh, obviously, I did have the setback and I thought the season was done. But then there was rumours that we might come back to play the final games. So I was thinking, oh, I could even play this season. Um, but no, I'm grateful obviously to be now back fit uh, and then obviously to be promoted as champions has been a great feeling for myself and the boys and the whole and anyone who's part of the club um, and now like I say, I can't, get, can't wait to get going in League One next year And I haven't ignored the fact you've said it several times during this conversation champions, feels good doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> well that is the best feeling that I've had in my career um, I know it wasn't a nice way to do it and all of us would have liked to have carried on playing the games because even though some would have said we had an easy run in, every game's difficult. Um, but I'm sure we had more. We were more than capable of going up as champions anyway. Um, but at the end of the day, safety comes first. 
um, with everything that's been going on with the global pandemic. Jordan, I thoroughly enjoyed this chat. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. The Low Strangers is proudly sponsored by the official STFC Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford and the artwork was provided expertly by John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.